0: You mentioned in your book talking about um, the friendships mm-hmm. you made with these other women. Yeah. Talk to me about that and why that's so important. Okay.
1: So when I had first walked in there, this is something I've never done before. Right. I had not confided in one person about what my husband had struggled with all these years. Mm-hmm. And so to walk in, basically you're saying, hey, this is what my life is. And you just don't know who's going to be in there. If you're going to know somebody. And at the time, that was really scary to think I might know somebody and then they would know. Mm-hmm. But later, I, I came to that place where it's the best thing ever when you find someone who knows.
0: Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. My next guest was raised in Northern California and lived for 20 years in Idaho, and the past six years she has lived in Utah. She's worked in sales the majority of her adult life, teaching and training others to reach personal success in their businesses. She recently married a man she dated in college 27 years ago, and they reconnected through a friend. Together, they have nine children. She is the author of Cutting Ties, Healing from Betrayal Trauma as the Spouse of an Addict. She loves tennis when she makes the time for it. Her true passion has become meeting and talking with individuals and groups about healing through trials and challenges that addiction brings into a family, and relationships. I am pleased to present Roxanne Kennedy Granada. Roxanne are you ready to share your story of hope? Absolutely. Awesome. Well first of all I have to hear how in the world you reconnected with someone you met 27 years ago and dated in college. Tell me that story. (laughs) Isn't that just so
1: crazy? It, It was. It was a crazy thing. Well, he had been married for 25 years. I had previously been married for 21 years. Right. Those marriages obviously ended. And a mutual friend who was his roommate in college, I'm still friends with. Gotcha. And so it's been a long time, but uh, he knew I had a book out and he read it himself and he contacted This person that I ended up marrying and said, "Hey, if I send you a book to help you with your healing, would you read it?" Mm
0: -hmm. And he
1: said, "Of course I would." Mm -hmm. So he sent him the book, and he's like, "Wait a second!
0: I know her! I (laughs) I know
1: her!" And and of course, our friend knew that he, you know, he was kind of setting that up. But he read through my book. He read it twice. The first time he read it, he's he said it was like you were sitting there reading it to me. I could hear your voice, and so I could just I was listening to it as your story. And then I read it again a second time so that I could add it to my life and apply those things so I could see where I could use, use it for my own personal healing. And basically that was, that was it. He posted a review about it. Mm -hmm. And then I told him, thank you for the review. And it just went from there. And it really was like we picked up right where we left off.
0: Like we've known each other all these years.
1: Wow. I know. So that's, we just recently got married. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: (laughs) So we're going to dive a little bit into your journey. Okay. And you went to college and got married, and six months into your marriage, you had kind of an eye-opening experience. Yeah, I did. Why don't you take us from there?
1: Okay. All right. Well, I had gotten married, and I thought we were having the time of our life. I thought we were just so happy, so in love, and not that we weren't, but one day I came home from work, and I found the TV stuck between stations. It was one of the old kind of TVs where the knobs where you turn it and I turned the TV on and it was stuck on a channel a fuzzy picture of pornography. Mm-hmm. And I I was just shocked. I had no idea. I didn't grow up with uh, a father who who disrespected women in any way. It wasn't anything I had seen before. Right. And so even though I mean I had been exposed to pornography uh-huh. before. I had seen it when I was 12 uh-huh. from a friend, but but other than that, I didn't have a lot of experience, and it wasn't something that I was looking for, and I didn't know that I should even worry about it with my now husband. Right. And so it was pretty shocking when, when I saw that. And that's kind of where all of, I guess, the next 21 years kind of started was from that six months.
0: Wow. So what what were you thinking when you saw that?
1: I felt shocked, and I thought this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. We're married. We are very intimate. We were, we loved each other. So, Uh so it wasn't as if there was something going on, but I immediately thought something must be wrong with me. I Mm -hmm. felt, oh no, maybe I'm not cute enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe all these different things that clearly are not the case. It's, it's just, I was taking on somehow this must be my fault, but I learned, learned as I, as I was educated on addiction, how that actually is. And and it has nothing to do with the person. It's everything to do with the addict and
0: and things they're missing in their own lives, life, yeah. yeah. So where did you go from there? Did you talk to him about that or mm-hmm. what? Tell me what, what happened next.
1: Yeah, I talked to him immediately right mm-hmm. after he admitted to it. It wasn't like he pretended it, was, it wasn't It was happening. And we decided to go see our church leader. Right, And so we, we went and saw him. He was super kind and loving. And he gave his own experience of his struggle with pornography addiction and how he was managing it and trying to overcome and, and kind of the tools he used. But it was just basic kind of church answers, which is all good. Anytime mm-hmm. we're saying prayers or reading scriptures, that helps our lives. But it, it doesn't necessarily take away addiction if that's how far you've come with mm-hmm. it. It's not just a choice. You're not just making a, ch- a dumb choice. And so he gave us some things to do, uh, like pray more together and and things like that. And so we thought, okay, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, however, I felt so crazy. I felt shocked. I felt like my trust just kind of blew up and so i started feeling nervous and anxious about what he was doing when i wasn't home mm-hmm. i just didn't trust him so that was hard and all of a sudden our life was hard where i thought it was easy now it became hard
0: right and you talk about this a little bit in your book you call it betrayal trauma right Explain to me what that is and how how you ended up learning about betrayal trauma, probably years later, right? Years
1: later, yes. It wasn't until 17 or so years later that I learned what that was, that betrayal trauma. And it's really when somebody that you love that is supposed to be your caretaker, basically, of your heart, someone who's supposed to care for you, uh, lies, manipulates, deceives. And now all of a sudden you feel like you don't kind of know what your world is like. It's kind of mixed up. Mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you feel uh trauma and anxiety over things that you never did before. So so you might be triggered over something. I might see something or someone that might be maybe dressed not fully clothed mm-hmm. in a way that would trigger me worried about what he might think. Mm-hmm. And so your body goes into trauma responses. It's it's PTSD um in the betrayal form. So your your body starts shaking. It, you, your heart is racing really fast, and it takes a while to be able to calm your body and come down from that. It's a trauma response.
0: Wow. That is, but it, it probably helped you when you learned about it to know, okay, I'm not crazy. Yes. Yes. It's definitely a real thing.
1: Yeah. It validated everything that I'd been feeling all those years. Yeah. For sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you had four children together. We right? did. Mm hmm. And tell me how that was uh, juggling being a mom and worrying about your relationship with your spouse. How, did, right. how, did, how were you able to juggle those things?
1: Well, I think I went full force into I can do this and I can save everybody is what I did. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that either until later. When I calmed down, when I took a step back, when I had counseling and I could see that I was trying to make up for The fact that this was happening because the the lie that's going on in your head is something kind of to the effect of he's doing these things he's making these choices that are against marriage and family Mm -hmm. there's infidelity is not okay Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel okay yeah yet on the other hand he was such a good dad so present so supportive of me and everything i did every business i wanted to do there, there was no source of uh, abuse of control that he used to control what I did in my life. He was just very supportive. And so I would look at that and think, he, he supports me. He's so great. So why is he doing this? This makes no sense. But it, it made it so that my reality was a little bit skewed to what I was really going through. Mm-hmm. Because what I had learned later was that being a good dad, is he being a good dad? and a husband when he's making the choices he's making mm. no when he's making those choices and then coming home and basically manipulating or lying and deceiving so that nobody else knows what's what he's doing mm-hmm. then that extra good dad extra supportive person is really manipulation mm. so that you know his that other life isn't found out so it makes it difficult yeah yeah
0: Yeah, I can see how that would be the case. So um, tell me some of the steps you took to try to help him heal from this once, you know, I know for many years he told you it wasn't a problem anymore, but you kept feeling like there was something wrong. Right. So what were some of the steps you actually took to begin this healing process? Obviously you went and talked to your religious leader, but what other sources are there?
1: Yeah, there's people... there are a lot. There were, I found them over time. I think yeah. everything, I think the way God works in our lives is he gives us one step at a time, mm. and we have the opportunity to choose into that and learn about it and kind of start to grow or we're scared and we wait, and, and I did both. I would hear things and, and be scared. It wasn't until 17 years later, through the years of six months in when I found pornography for the first time, up until the 17 years, I found it several different times. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where the trust was uh, continuously broken so that I could never really gain that trust back. So at 17 years, I found some like, more things that were kind of a bigger proportion. And so that's when I felt God say, you know what this is. Mm -hmm. This is not that he's making stupid decisions. This really is a problem. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I knew I had that time, I had that moment where, okay, am I going to look at this clearly and really believe this is what I'm dealing with or am I going to push it down and pretend this is not what's happening? Mm -hmm and so i had a choice and so i chose to see it clearly and at that point i had no resources yet so we went and visited our church leader mm-hmm. and i was praying the whole way over saying oh please god please have him tell us something that we we can take that will be more than just saying prayers or reading scriptures we do that already right, and right. that is not helping the situation it helps me and my relationship with god but it's not helping you know with this problem and he did and he told us about 12 step program, that there is a 12-step program for pornography addiction. Mm-hmm. And there's also a group for the spouses, the family members of addicts, and a, a women's group specifically for uh, those who have suffered from betrayal trauma because their spouse is an addict. So, gotcha. so I thought, okay, we're going to start doing that. So we did. We delved into that, went every week for about a year and a half. We didn't miss a week. And we were thriving in it. So I thought, so I thought, so, so I was, and in those groups, they have a facilitator, someone who kind of starts the meeting and gets it going and kind of shares their experience. And I became the facilitator. My husband at the time had also become the facilitator in his men's group. And so I'm thinking, this is so great. We're doing it. But over that first year, things just kept getting worse. Mm -hmm. And I was praying about it going, how are things worse? And I just kept feeling this feeling of he's just not being honest with you. And that doesn't make any sense because we're doing all the work. Mm. But a year later, I found more like a bigger thing that was really leading to where his double life was going. And, and that's where uh, I kind of had that moment of he needs to do some more work or he needs to get out kind of a feeling like he needs to leave. And at that point, we were introduced to counseling. Mm -hmm. So we started counseling. And That was so. Those were the two resources that kind of got me started. Was twelve step and then counseling. Both so important, so important in understanding uh, what to do. Because when I first started twelve step, I thought I was going to go learn what I needed to do to save him, to help him so that he could recover. And what I learned there was I needed to have my own healing, my own recovery. I needed to be able to see clear, uh, recognize the red flags see the manipulation. And I knew nothing else from all those years. So I had to be able to learn to see a different way. And I had to heal the trauma that happened.
0: You mentioned in your book, you were scared to go the first day. Oh, right. Yes, I was. To Walk in that room to to make that choice to go in there. But you made the choice. Mm -hmm. What did you find? You mentioned in your book talking about the friendships Mm -hmm. you made with these other women yeah talk to me about that and why that's so important okay
1: so when I had first walked in there this is something I've never done before and so I'm walking into this group that where I know what they're struggling with and they know what I'm struggling with it's very vulnerable to nobody knew about this issue I had not confided in one person about what my husband had struggled with all these years Mm -hmm. and so to walk in basically you're saying hey this is what my life is. And you just don't know who's going to be in there if you're going to know somebody. And at the time, that was really scary to think I might know somebody and then they would know. Mm-hmm. But later, I I came to that place where it's the best thing ever when you find someone who knows. Someone who knows you, they have the same experience. There's so much love. But I walked in that meeting and as the facilitator at the time, she was telling her story and and she was she was crying and she was also happy. She was full of peace, even though she was distraught over what, what was happening in her family. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I want that. I want to be her because at this moment I was shattered to pieces and I could not, it was like I was in a fog. I could not see my way out. And so to see her and go, wow. Okay. She's okay. She's hurting, but she's okay. And I felt hope and that's what i got from that. And then over the years, my truest friends are from those groups. They are they are my best friends. They i still am with them now. They we 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 joke that we know all the deep stuff about each other, but we don't even know how old each other is. We don't <laughs> we don't know our favorite colors or anything because we just started way in the in the deep stuff.
0: Yeah, but sometimes that's where the best friendships are formed. For sure, yeah. And you had a a common problem you were you were all dealing with and what a neat thing to know that first of all you're not alone
1: yeah I I thought I was alone I thought there must be something wrong that my husband would choose these things so it's Mm got to be I I have to be the only one so to find out that you're not oh it's so validating and it makes you feel like wow okay this actually is a real problem in the world Mm -hmm. not just something that's specific to me
0: yeah and I think that is something the adversary really jumps on, is he wants you to feel alone. He wants mm-hmm. you to feel like there's no hope. Yeah. And so I think by reaching out and finding groups like this, you realize the total opposite is true. Right. You know, not only is God there for you, but you have other people, yeah. angels, I guess and we could I, call yeah, them earthly angels. for that sure. That God sends your way. Yeah. That are there to help you and support you along.
1: Because God knows that we have to build our relationship with him. That's really the way we're going to make it through. But he also knows that we're human and we need tangible, physical help. Yes. And that's where those friends or relationships come in. You need that hug. You need that love where you can call somebody and say, I am not doing okay today. Like, for real, I'm really not. And then they're there for you. Okay, I hear you. And you know talk you through it I guess
0: yeah so you talk in your book about having a day that you felt so broken mm-hmm. and so empty and so unloved you talk you'd say you, that your closet became your safe space mm-hmm. because that's kind of where you went and had a little blanket and curled up and cried um you had an amazing experience there in your closet mm-hmm. that taught you where you could refill your empty bucket. Would right. you mind telling us a little bit about that?
1: Okay, so I had felt so shattered. The, the pain just kept coming. The triggers kept coming. The new evidence kept coming. And I was feeling like my, I explain it like my love tank, my heart, my love tank was completely empty. It felt like there was nothing left in it. And I felt like, well, I, I felt like I could die for one. And that happened several times throughout this whole experience that I honestly thought I was so so shattered and broken that I might just actually die. Mm-hmm. And that was a real feeling like I've never felt so broken in my life. And so I was in my closet and I was praying about how broken I am and how how can this be and how is it like like this? And I was so lonely. And I heard the prompting, the inspiration that said, imagine the Savior holding your heart. He has your heart. He can fill you up. Just imagine him holding it. And so over the time, I kept doing that. Every time I felt so broken, I would imagine the Savior holding my heart. And nothing really happened. It just, I would just kept doing it over and over. And then one day, which is what you're talking about, one day as I was praying, so just heartfelt and just with tears, but I wasn't yelling at God, I was just calm and sad. All of a sudden I felt it and my heart filled up and it overfilled. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I got that from God. I got that from Jesus Christ and I have never felt so filled in all my life with so much love. And it was as if that love tank was, was refilled.
0: Wow. That is such a powerful experience. So would you say the key to Feeling that love then is keeping that connection yeah, with
1: God. For sure. And knowing that he will be there for you. He won't always change your circumstance. He's not going to change someone from hurting you or, or fix it so that uh, you don't feel broken necessarily. But he is going to walk you through it. And if you choose to take everything to him he can fill you up. What happens is we get so stressed and anxious about the fact that we're feeling all these feelings. We don't know what to do with them. We're feeling, "Oh my gosh, I feel all these things," and we we numb we go jump to something else sometimes. We want to fill the loneliness with a void of some kind. Mm-hmm. And so that we now we can't necessarily hear clear. And so when we make it through when we basically buckle down and just let the sad, hard, broken feelings surface and sit with them so much pain and so much sadness but just sit with them then God can come in and he can be the one to fill it versus filling it with an outside source
0: Mm, I love that and and I love that you brought out that it's important to feel those feelings yeah because sometimes we do push them away Mm mm-hmm um, and sometimes I know, especially in my experience, I felt really guilty of being like angry mm-hmm. at God or angry at my circumstance. And, and it's actually just part of the process, right? you know, and well, at least for me, it was.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is. I think that's our journey. Anyway, I think that we, we think, well, the way I've thought was that, Something as hard is happening, right? And then we we get through the hard thing, and we have this reprieve, and then something else hard comes up. and And I always was thinking, or in the past, I would I would think, well, why do, am I not learning? Am I not? Why do I have to have something hard again? Did I not learn before? What's going on? But but as I've grown and noticed, the path is like rolling hills. It's like we have something hard, and then we have a reprieve, and then we have something hard, and we have a reprieve. That is just the path back to God. Mm-hmm. It just is. And so when I looked at it that way, I could then move myself forward versus keep turning backwards going, why do I keep having something bad happen over and
0: over and over? Mm-hmm. It's just part of my journey to keep going. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that visual picture you painted <laughs> of the rolling hills because that's really what life is like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not smooth sailing. No. No. <laughs> Darn it. I know. I wish it was. <laughs> but it's the lessons we learn along the way that help tie us to God. And I think that's one of the lessons I heard over and over and over in your book was cling to God and he'll get you through. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So what what other lessons did you learn along this um, rolling hill maybe giant mountain journey because these weren't just hills, dear.
1: (laughs) No, no, there was a lot of things. Um, So many different things. I learned that you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. So I've noticed that God gives all of us the next tool or the next idea, the next person that comes into our life to help us make it through whatever it is we're going through. Mm -hmm. So in my case, my husband struggles with addiction or my ex-husband now, but he was given different things. He was given 12-step programs. He was given counselors that that were therapists in that field of addiction. He went to a 90-day treatment center, actually inpatient for his addiction. And ultimately, though, he has to choose to do the recovery work. Mm -hmm. And so I learned that I can't control another person's agency. And it's really a hard lesson because controlling the outcome, as I would sit there praying in my closet saying, how could one person, their decisions affect an entire family of really good people, my children, and there's nothing I can do about it. No matter what, even though the tools are there, the people are there, God is there, but I can't make somebody. So letting go of the control really freed me to relax, to not be so Uh, overcome with anxiety, to really be able to give it to God and give him to God. Okay, Mm -hmm. God, it's either me thinking I can do it, it, or I'm going to trust that you can do it. And Mm -hmm. clearly, obviously he can do a better job, but it's hard to trust because we think if we hang on, we'll be able to do something. I can talk him into it. I can show him why he wants to. That's just not how addiction works. Mm -hmm. And so- I, just having to turn it over to God. That's definitely one of the things, just letting go, letting God do his work. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that's that's with my children, with other relationships. I don't need to control
0: anyone or anything. You just give it to God. Yeah. It's almost liberating when you discover that. Right.
1: It, <laughs> it <laughs> really like- is. It frees you up. It takes you away from that codependency feeling where you can uh, take on somebody else's Feelings, thoughts, behaviors—you can't, you can't do that.
0: Yeah. Oh, what a powerful lesson to learn! Darn it, you had to learn it a really hard way, though. I know, <laughs> I know, but it's okay. I, I wouldn't change any oh, of it. Oh my goodness! What other, what other lessons can you pull out of this twenty, twenty-one year experience? Well,
1: a lot of, a lot of times you, you have these people in your life that are choosing vile things and trying to differentiate between a person. So hating a person versus hating addiction. So I Ooh. had to learn. And as you read my book, as you know, there's a lot of love in that book. Mm-hmm. I definitely loved my husband. Mm-hmm. So coming to that place of, I love him. I hate addiction. I Love him as a person, as a spouse, as a father. I do not agree with what he's choosing or doing. And because of that, I may not get to keep him in my life Mm -hmm. because of the choices he's making and how that affects me. So, learning boundaries, learning how to say, I'm sorry, I do not believe you, that I don't think you're telling me the truth, you're going to have to leave, Mm -hmm. even without evidence or even without proof. But God told me, I knew it. Mm-hmm. And having to keep those boundaries of, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go. It, there's no fight in it. There's nothing like that. I love you, but this is not safe for me. Mm. So learning things like that, it's invaluable to learn boundaries like that.
0: And where did you learn those boundaries?
1: So boundaries came from counseling. Mm. Uh, when my counselor at first even shared, well, what kind of boundaries do you have in place if he uses or does any of these things. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. What do you mean boundaries? He's like, you know, like if you do this, you can't sleep in my room. And I kept thinking, well, that's punishment. And then I'm being mean and I'm trying to be loving and supportive. And, and he had to teach me that it's not about the other person. The boundary is not to punish someone else. The boundary is this doesn't feel good for you. So how do you state that? Okay. Okay. So I don't feel good when I find out that he's been lying. That makes me feel anxious, stressed, triggered. My heart's racing. I can't sleep. I end up in my closet sleeping, like Mm -hmm. you said. And so what do I need? Okay, if I find out something like that, if he's done something against marriage and family, what do I need? I need a safe place. I need space in my own room to process, to pray, to rest, to sleep, to take care of myself because I've just been through something emotionally traumatic. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so the boundary would be, this is the choice you made. My boundary is that I need you to go sleep in the other room. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, maybe a day, maybe 3. I will let you know when I'm feeling better. Mm-hmm. So it's about me, not a punishment to him. Yes, that happens. He has to go, but it's because of how I'm feeling. So it's taking care
0: of you. Yeah. And so you learned that if you take care of you, mm-hmm. then you're in a better place emotionally sure. and mm-hmm. physically and And you can then take care of everybody else probably better. Right.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I can hear clear what God wants me to do when I'm spinning and spiraling in all the what ifs and I can't do this and I don't know how to do this. How how can I hear the steps I'm supposed to take and how can I be rational? Mm -hmm. I can't. And so I have to come down to that place of clarity. Sometimes I do have to. on a drive and yell it out to god and say i cannot believe this and i cannot believe that you're having me in this and how have you not saved me from this and and how 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 why 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 but as i yell it out to him and i tell him how angry i am and i even tell him that i'm mad at him god Mm -hmm. then he just sits there and he's like i know i know i get it it's hard you're having a really hard time and as soon as i can get it all out and i can come down then I can hear him and I'm like okay I hear you and I can feel all his love he's not mad at me for yelling he's not saying you told me that you didn't like me and now you're gonna be punished and I'm gonna go away from you not in the least Mm -hmm. as long as I come to
0: him and tell
1: him everything I've got he's right there Mm -hmm. it's when I turn away that I feel like he left me but really he didn't I turned away Mm
0: -hmm. I love that part in your book where you, I hope you don't mind if I read this really quick because that was so beautiful when you talk about God's love, how you you said, "I, I come honest and broken. And then you said, God knows how broken I am and the pain that is pressing on my heart. And he just loves me. He loves me exactly where I am at now. He doesn't think I'm a terrible person. And I love that. I love that you came to realize that God just loves you for you. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you're angry. Doesn't matter if you're broken. He just loves you. Yeah, and that's beautiful. So so pretty. Oh, I love I love your book. It's so great. <laughs> oh. um, and and so of course the devil's going to attack that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, how did you learn to combat the negative thoughts mm-hmm. and? Um, the emotional abuse that you were receiving mm-hmm. for many years. Right. Yeah. How, how did you learn to turn that around in your mind?
1: Right. Well, first off, I have to tell you that for all, so many of those years, I had no idea I was being abused. Mm-hmm. I didn't even see it or realize it was very shocking to me when I came to that realization that what I was in was abusive. The lies and manipulation, gaslighting, deceit, where someone else is trying to make your reality feel crazy and like you have the problem not them Mm. that's abusive and i didn't know that and so when i came to that i was shocked i was embarrassed i felt like how did i not know how did i not see all this all these years the shame just piled on and the shame thats satan as well Mm -hmm. he wants to tell me you're so dumb how did you not do this but you know what i wasn't ready i didn't know the tools i didn't have any education on what I was in yet. Mm -hmm. And so I was going along being a good person, being a, a trusting wife, loving my husband. So I was doing all I knew how to do. And until I was in a place where I could see something's not right here and God led me through it slowly, he didn't just put it on me do you realize what you're in? Mm -hmm. No, he didn't. He just said, let's start here. Let's start with the 12 step. Let's start with counseling. Let's find you a counselor that actually is specific in sex addiction Mm -hmm. so that he knows what you went through so that he understands betrayal trauma and he can help you through it. So all of those things brought me to that place of knowing what it was and understanding it, which then showed me that I could have compassion for myself, that I could realize that, if I take it on a shame, I'm taking on what somebody else chose to do to me. And I'm taking it on like it's my fault. Mm -hmm. Like somehow I'm the dumb one that didn't see it. But really that's his stuff. Those were his actions. He chose to lie. He chose to manipulate. That has nothing
0: to do with me. No, not at Mm -hmm. all. So what, what would you tell yourself then in your mind when these negative thoughts would come? Right. Would you how did you battle those? Because we yeah. all we all battle negative mm-hmm. thoughts especially when you've been in a relationship like like you're explaining here. Right. I can only imagine what your negative <laughs> thoughts must have been. Right.
1: Like. Yeah, they they were they were pretty strong, but I actually invested in going to counseling every week. So as I would plummet, it would I would be almost ready to go to counseling again and then I could talk it through. So at the beginning I needed help seeing clearly. I needed help. No you don't need to think those thoughts. Those are not true. And he would challenge my beliefs and and just the different therapy he would use would, I would be able to kind of connect why I felt that way and how long I've been feeling that way. Sometimes from childhood or just other things that, Mm -hmm. that kind of show you why you have that belief system Mm -hmm. in your mind of, of you're not good enough. Perfectionism Mm -hmm. type of things. Sure. And so as, I would learn that then I could learn the tools when they would come up so if something came up like I took the shame on or I was the self-talk was super negative I could challenge it and I could say wait a second hold up stop that's not what this is and I would start saying what is true what is true and I would repeat things that I already knew were true you know like okay I'm, I'm doing the work I am healing this is how I'm healing these are the things that are working for me and I kind of talk myself back into reality because the self, the negative self-talk isn't reality. It's not present moment. It's just a feeling but it's not necessarily true or real. You just happen to feel it.
0: Wow, that is amazing. I love I love that you challenged it. Yeah, you know. And so I think that's that's probably one of the best pieces of advice I've heard on the subject is is really pause and think, are these thoughts true? right?
1: Well, and to go along with that, you think about if somebody is, in an accident, if you're in an accident and you get hurt, you go to the hospital, yeah. you take care of yourself, you have crutches or a wheelchair or physical therapy, sometimes for a year or two, You until you're back to your complete self. So this is emotional trauma, but it's the same idea. So if I don't heal myself, if I don't try to challenge those thoughts and behaviors, then I'm never going to be free to be able to move forward in my life, to progress. And so it's the same thing. I have to take care of me And the person who hurt me is not the one that can do it. That's the other lie that we tell ourselves. They need to, if they just stop doing this, I will be okay. No, because you already got hit by the truck. You Mm. already got hurt. So the person who hit you, the person who stabbed you, the person who did whatever, cannot be the one now to come pick you back up because you don't even trust that person. That has to be rebuilt. And so it's just like an accident. That person who hit you, with their car leaves, you never see them again, but you still have to do the work. You mm-hmm. still have to choose healing. And that's what those things are the counseling, the challenging, the thoughts, working on that, going to meetings, meeting with your support group.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Well, let's take a quick break. But when we get back, would you mind sharing tips that you would give? to others in a similar situation and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about diving into um, the amazing resources that you would recommend. Okay, that sounds great. Awesome. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson, is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write, and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus Diagnosis Survival Guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The Diagnosis Survival Guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm talking to Roxanne Kennedy Granada, and we are talking about healing from emotional abuse with God's help when her husband was addicted to pornography and had a sex addiction. So we were going to talk a little bit about what advice you would give to other women who find themselves in a similar situation where like, oh my gosh, my husband's looking at porn. What do I do now?
1: Right, yeah, that's so hard. it's the It's the scariest, most painful thing to find that, yeah and and have your heart be betrayed by someone who you care about, who supposedly loves you, who you share a bed with. There's so many things of of uh, fear that come up. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of different things, but some of the things that would help me when I would come into a place of extreme fear or so much anxiety I couldn't sleep. I would do a few things Uh, one was that I would take a drive and look at the scenery play really soft kind of spiritual music something that in that was good for my soul nothing loud and talk everything out so even if I was talking to myself I needed to free it up from my system I couldn't hear anything I couldn't act on anything if I was bogged down with all the swirl the swirl of death is what I call it. Mm -hmm. And so I would need it out. And so one of those ways was driving and talking it out. Now, when I did talk it out, I always invited God to be in it with me, even if I wasn't praying, because I didn't want to be talking my way through into more resentment or anger or inviting Satan at all to kind of, come on to those fears that I had. So sure. I was just like, Hey, I'm going to talk this out, but I'm inviting you to listen in. And If you have any thoughts, give it to me. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also write. So sometimes I would just take out my paper and write sometimes just words more like, it's like brainstorming when whatever's coming to your mind, I would write it out. Sometimes it would be this whole letter of anger to my husband. Sometimes it was a letter to God. Sometimes it was just fears, feelings, and bullet points, whatever it was, basically write it out so that I would free up my own soul and then I could start going okay I'm okay now I can go to sleep now or now I can work on what's actually still bothering me with and not being um overwhelmed with things that really were just about fear and not necessarily things I needed to work on
0: yeah yeah so it sounded like it was almost you needed um A space, a safe space where you could get all these thoughts, feelings and emotions out, whether it was venting it to God, whether it was Mm -hmm. writing it out on paper. But that is so therapeutic. I wasn't
1: I wasn't able to do anything else. So it paralyzed me as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a with my job, everything. It paralyzed me because I was in too much of a fog. So if I could clear myself, then I could be present for the people in my life and the things in my life that mattered.
0: Wow, that's a powerful tool. Yeah. And I think you're right, you mm-hmm. know, that, that's, that sometimes we do get really worried about things mm-hmm. and it's just the process of getting it out. So right. so to you women out there, and I'm sure there's actually probably some men oh, who yeah. struggle oh, with this are, with their women. Oh, they are, for sure, absolutely. Uh, with their wives, so s- same advice, talk it out, write it out. Mm-hmm and obviously find programs like the 12-step program right Mm -hmm. yeah counseling specific you've mentioned um you mentioned in your book you well you have an entire chapter on it Mm -hmm. of when to stay or go Mm -hmm. now obviously this is a super personal decision that people have to come to on their own talk us through what was going through your mind and what you wrote about in that chapter.
1: Okay. So my journey between finding the major part where we started in recovery, that was February of 2012. Mm -hmm. I ended up choosing divorce August of 2015. Mm -hmm. So just to give you kind of the years of my journey and how long it took me to come to that place. Now, everybody's going to be different. Some people will just know I need to leave now. Some people will be able to stay. Their spouse will choose into recovery and they will stay i know plenty of men and women who have chose recovery Mm -hmm. and their families are doing great and it's amazing it's Mm -hmm. amazing to watch so as i went along the journey the first thing that happened was i was at a conference and maurice harker he was teaching the class and it was all on pornography addiction he's a counselor in uh the salt lake area i believe Mm -hmm. but he was talking about somebody asked the question how do you know when it's time to leave And I'm like, oh, this is an interesting question. And at this point, I had only been in my journey maybe a year, maybe Mm -hmm. not quite yet. So in my mind, we were absolutely doing the work. My Mm -hmm. husband was saving himself. I'm saving him, right, is what I thought. Mm -hmm. I was doing the work too. And so I was just listening. And he said something to the effect of, uh, in your life, you imagine your life as a tree. And every time your spouse does something that goes against marriage and family, a leaf falls off. And one day you wake up and the last leaf has fallen and you just know. Mm. And it hit me. It was pretty profound. Like, wow, that's bold and feels true to me. Mm -hmm. Like, because I was fighting, fighting, fighting. There was no way I was going to let my husband die in addiction. There was no way I was going to let my family suffer or break apart. That's where I was at at the time Mm -hmm. until I let go and realized that sometimes breaking A part of family is the best thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. But that was the first step. And then as I kept going on, there were times when God said, like at the one point at 2013, so a year later after we've been in 12 step, Mm -hmm. I found more stuff. And at that point it was, um, something was wrong and I could feel it and I knew it and I didn't know how to figure it out. And it was Easter weekend. And God, it was a Saturday. I had family in town Mm -hmm. and God says to me, he is not being honest with you. He needs to leave on Monday when everybody's gone. Mm. And I was like, what? Mm. You're I've never done this before. You're asking me to have him leave. Like I don't even, what if that's not true? What if there's nothing wrong? What if I haven't, what if he hasn't done anything? What if he's telling me the truth? And it Mm. was pretty bold. And at this point I had practiced enough times not listening to the promptings and listening to them to know that I needed to listen even though I didn't have any proof. And Mm -hmm. so I that morning, Saturday morning, I told my husband, on Monday, you will need to leave. And he said, you're crazy, you need medication, you need all this help, I'm sober, things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm sorry, I do not believe you, you're going to need to leave. So after that, he left the house. My family that was visiting, they left to go run an errand. And I went into the closet, and I was pulling on some clothes that were kind of disheveled up on the shelves. And I pulled down um, a pair of shorts, and a key falls out. Mm -hmm. And I knew what the key was. My husband had lost his office key uh, months before. Mm -hmm. Didn't know where it was. Mm -hmm. And it fell on the floor, and I knew. I knew I needed to use it. Mm -hmm. So I ran over to the office, flipped on his computer, pulled up the history from the day before, and it was filled with terribly vile things and a level that had progressed farther than I had known from the year before. Mm-hmm. And so I was just obviously distraught, disgusted, in shock. I was almost throwing up. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I did not know what to do. I was freaking out really like mm-hmm. to myself. I'm, it's just me. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I go home. I talk to my church leader. He tries to call him. We had a Easter, uh, an Easter egg hunt that night with my family at my mom's, and mm-hmm. I'm trying to be like all is well, and I'm just in this fog, just oh, crazy. Yeah. And I don't know at the time why I didn't feel like I could share this journey with anybody, but that's not where I was at this point. Mm-hmm. I had my recovery group, and that's all I shared it with. Mm-hmm. So I just went on as life as normal, dying inside. Mm-hmm. But I get home that night, and my husband says, I just have a few things I want to talk to you about. And I said, okay. And he pulls out this list and it's 11 things that are wrong with me. With you. With me, with me. And he's like, I, you know, you don't, can't call me a liar. I'm sober. If you get medication, I will stay with you. Your inspirations are wrong. Just these different things. And I sat there and looked at him and was like, wow, addiction seriously stills the life of somebody. It really does for someone to, to look at me so sanely, like he's calm and sharing all these things. I mean, that's gaslighting and manipulation right there. Mm -hmm. It's, but luckily God had already prepared me. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't freaking out and I just said, okay, well, I have a few things to say to you. And he's like, okay. And I flipped on my phone and I started reading. I had taken a picture of it, of the screen. And I just started reading word for word the vile details Mm -hmm. of every site that he went to Mm -hmm. and he just broke and he started crying. And he was, we talked all night long. He went and visited the, our church leader the next day. Uh, We went and told my parents, he told them the whole story the following evening. uh, My parents prayed with us. And at that moment, so on that Saturday, God told me he had to leave Mm -hmm. on Monday night. I had the firm answer that he can stay so sometimes it's we get a different answer because it's showing our willingness to do the work. Mm-hmm. If my husband wouldn't have taken that opportunity, he didn't have to humble himself when I called him out on all his stuff. He could have just freaked out and left. Right. But he came down, he humbled himself, he started, okay. And Heavenly Father's like, okay, we're going to give him the chance. Because he loves him as much as he loves me. Yeah. Just because this is happening to him, he still loves him as his child and as a person. Mm. And so sometimes it's, you know, it's stay and sometimes it's go and it switches. But for me, as far as knowing, for one, nobody can know for you. Yeah, Only right. you can know. It's based on when you're ready. If I would have done that earlier, I might have found myself in the same situation because I wouldn't have had tools and knowledge of what addiction looks like what gaslighting looks like, what manipulation is. I wouldn't have known. And mm-hmm. so for me, it took these years to gain the strength, to gain understanding, to be able to set boundaries like that. And mm-hmm. so so God, I could look at it before and think, God isn't saving me, but really he was. It's just in his timing.
0: Right. Well, he was giving you the tools to, to save yourself. Exactly. And don't you think... And- that he gives us the right tool at the right time when we're ready for it mm-hmm. and when we have the strength to act on it.
1: Yes, absolutely. And if we don't, he says, okay, and he'll come back later and give it to us again in another way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I think our ability to progress through these things is is very merciful.
1: It is. It is about love. And then we can really look at it and go, oh, God doesn't hate me and he doesn't yeah. think I'm awful. And he's not even kind of shaking his head at me he really (laughs) just loves me he's like okay she's not ready yet let's just give her another tool and it's the same for like for in my case the addict in my life Mm -hmm. he's going to keep giving him chances and tools and everything even though our family didn't stay together Mm -hmm. he's not going to give up on him just as he's not giving up on me so yeah
0: right wow so um You have some amazing advice that you wrote specifically to women in your book. Would you mind reading that and sharing that with us?
1: Yes. Yes, I will do that. This starts on page 84 of the book. I wish I could tell every woman who discovers her husband's secret life how much she is loved. And as she opens her eyes and heart, she will find a network of people to support her and show her the way. She is not alone. You are not alone. There are so many of us beautiful survivors that are awesome and are making it. The key is to take care of you. This is not about him. He made his choices. Those are his. It is not your job to coddle, nurture, and support him in his pain. Yes, support him in his recovery, but you can't fix his sadness and take it away from him. He wasn't thinking of you when he made those decisions that broke your heart. He's not sitting with you, understanding the depth of despair he put on you. Nope, if he's in recovery, he is learning the tools to stay sober, and he will do whatever it takes to find freedom from the trap of addiction. This is just a very
0: long road. Oh, and it is a long road. Bless you for walking Mm -hmm. that. But thank goodness you weren't alone. God was with you in it. Right, right? yep. Oh, powerful, powerful lessons. So were there any um, Bible verses that became meaningful to you along your journey?
1: Yes, I I have many, but two of my favorites. The first one that came to me was probably one that many people have as a favorite, which is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. That really helped me in when I was... uh, not trusting God, when I was worried that he might, if I give it to him, then I'm not controlling it anymore. So how do I know he's going to get it done? Mm-hmm. And so when I would keep saying that, no, trust in him. He has you. He's doing this. He's going to direct the path. Let him do it. It was just one of those things that I could recite over and over that would kind of get me from clenching my fist, like, Ugh, mm-hmm. to letting go and breathing out, like just breathing that sigh of relief, kind of, that God's doing it. So that was right. one of them, for sure. The other one is 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, "'For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, "'but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind.'" So fear was something that was present with me every day when I was going through the major part of this journey. Oh, yeah. And so to remember, no, fear was not given by God. Fear mm-hmm. is from Satan. So I needed to give that back to Satan and say, okay, okay, I'm not going to do fear. And if you look what God gave us, power, love, and a sound mind. So when I'm thinking, I'm crazy, and how am I supposed to figure this out? And I don't know what to do, because I said that countless times. My hands in my head, in my hair, going, I don't know what to do. I sat in counseling. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. I don't know why he thinks that I should be able to do this. He thinks I'm way stronger than I am. All of those things.
0: We've all felt that way. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> we do. It's, it's just a hard thing. And that scripture verse reminds me, no, he gave you power and he gave you a sound mind. Mm. So just clear your mind and listen, and you will be able to figure out what you're supposed to do. You will be able to have the strength to stay in your marriage if you're supposed to. You'll have the strength to leave if you're supposed
0: to. Mm. Wow. That is beautiful. I love those verses. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. So let's talk resources. I know you've shared a lot of tips throughout this podcast, but let's dive into the websites and all those amazing things that you have used to help you gain the knowledge that you have. I know you have a podcast called Choose In, and you can find it at choosein.com or on Apple or Google or Spotify or any of those places people can listen to podcasts. And in this podcast, you share about surviving betrayal, infidelity, trauma, and emotional abuse because you chose in to doing the hard work necessary to see through all the deceit and manipulation and lies coming from sexual addiction. But what other resources would you recommend? For women or men who are in this tough situation.
1: Okay. So for me, I started out with a religious 12-step group. Mm -hmm. It was uh, part of ARP. That's something you can look up online and see what's in your area. There's also community ones all over the nation in different communities uh, called ESANON. SA is the addiction program. It's a sex addiction program, like AA. But SA.
0: SA, right. Uh
1: So just like uh, Mm Al-Anon, that's for the family members of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. There's also anon, which Mm -hmm. is the family members of sex addiction or addicts. Gotcha. And so that's in a lot of the different communities. And so that is something, those are free meetings. Mm -hmm. So you can find a support group really easy. They also have phone-in meetings. So you can phone into an S and on meeting you can phone into. There's other offshoots of that same one. There's SA lifeline. That's also part of another group that is for spouses of addicts. So wow. there's, there's a few and you can do phone in meetings if you're not ready to go, or if you just don't have the time or whatever, you have access to that.
0: Fantastic. Yeah.
1: The Oh, go ahead. You no, have? I was
0: just going to say, we'll be sure to link these things in okay. the resources, in the show notes, just so it's easier for people, people to, to find, find them. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then as far as therapists go, for me, it was important that I worked with somebody who specialized in sex addiction. So mine had the title of CSAT, which is a Certified Sex Addiction Therapist. There are others that don't have that exact title. That's not the specific program they went through, but they still have, that's what they are trained in. That's what they are. uh, That's who most of their clients are, are Mm -hmm. people who suffer with that. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. because. Whether you're the addict or the spouse of an addict, doesn't matter. Those kinds of therapists understand what you're feeling and going through. They understand the lies and manipulation. It's different than than other sorts of issues that you might have. And I will say that a lot of times people will say you need marriage counseling. But you do not need, you cannot have marriage counseling when you're dealing with an addict. Until the addiction is... Uh, being worked on until they're recognizing their behaviors of lying, manipulating, deceiving, you can't actually work on the marriage yet. Right. Because oh, that makes
0: so much sense, mm-hmm. actually, because you got to take care of the addiction first.
1: Right. So you're working with someone who is living in reality, who is clear, and who is safe. Mm-hmm. They're not going to lie their way through. Right. And so, and that's the same with even someone like me who was suffering from betrayal trauma. So I needed my own hours of counseling. He needed his own. And then every once in a while, we'd meet together and discuss Mm -hmm. things. But really, you can't fix the marriage until the addiction's fixed. Right. Or at least in the process. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that that makes so much sense when you talk it through that way. Um, But you had to learn that. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, going one step at a time.
1: Right. And I was given things uh, in certain steps. So the first counselor I had, I had never been to counseling in my life before. It Uh wasn't something I grew up with. So I didn't know what an amazing resource it is right i I wish i knew it i could have used it forever but i didn't know i didn't know how great it would be but it was one of those things that a friend said i think i'm supposed to tell you about my counselor i go to and that was my first experience with counseling and he was just a he was a normal regular i don't know just whatever counseling does right Mm -hmm. just the regular sees all his patients and and so he i felt so good i felt validated he understood what i was saying that felt amazing. I would leave feeling good. But I needed more. And so I didn't know that yet. That was my first thing. So then the next step was to find the counselor that specialized in sex addiction. But I wouldn't have even been able to find that had I not. I just needed something safe at the moment. Yeah. I needed something to save me for the minute. And right. he, he was able to do that for me. Yeah. So there's other things, too. Um, There's the groups that you can be in. There's Facebook groups that... Are specific and this is for anything I'm sure you found it in your situation as well so anything you need in your life if you need a Christian group that is talking about this is what's happening in my marriage what do I do you can find those groups right there there there's a lot of them out there now some you have to be careful with anything Uh, you want to make sure people are safe and healthy and they're not just resentful and bashing because that's right something as well uh, but those are out there. And then there's different videos. One of my favorites is Dr. Doug Weiss. And he has these training, like these videos that are some, titled something like um, Helping Your Wife Heal. And these are for men to listen to so they can understand what they have caused mm-hmm. to their spouse so they can really see it clear. And it's amazing. It's a beautiful video. It gave me so much validation. And I felt, yes, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly how I feel.
0: Right. Right. Well, it's fantastic that there are even these resources out there and we just need to know what they are so we can tap into them. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is amazing. Thank you for sharing those resources. Um, If people have just resonated with you and your story, um, how do they connect with you? And also... Tell us how they can find your book, because I think that's another fantastic resource. <laughs> okay.
1: So my my book is called Cutting Ties, and it's on Amazon. Awesome. And um, it is, even if you don't struggle with addiction in your life, but you want to build your relationship with God and you want to make it through the trials you are going through. I've had several people that have read it that either have a child with mental illness or even addicts themselves have read it. And you can find your own journey and your own healing. It's, mm-hmm. Really, you can hear your own story in mine. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's for anybody. But I'm on Facebook. And you can find me there, rkennedycuttingties. And Instagram is cutting Ties underscore book. So those are the online resources Thank that you. you can find. Yeah, I do want to add something that I feel is super important for people to know. People are really scared about what happens to the kids. What yes, do we why don't do? You talk about that. Just for a minute, it's so our kids are the same way as our our spouses letting go and let letting God. Mm. This is part of their journey. We don't want it to be their journey, no. but it is. And they're prepared and they're ready. and the sooner that they can know what truth is, recognize that their body's saying something's not right and learn how to see it clear, then they can also build their relationship with God. Mm. So we had an experience where my husband was in rehab. And we were praying for him that obviously that all would be well, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, my kids were really focused. They had even done some fasting. So they were skipping their breakfast and mm-hmm. pray to like just just really try to be in tune. And they were, I'm trying to think of their ages, maybe 10 to 18, maybe mm-hmm. about. And they after we were done praying this one particular day, I felt inspired that they needed to know that what they were praying for was being heard, Mm. that God was hearing them, and that these prayers are for them, so that even though, even if their dad did not choose to do the work, even if he didn't choose into recovery, even if our family got divorced, their prayers were heard, and this was their way to build their relationship with God so that they weren't alone.
0: Ooh, I love
1: that. And it was really, people ask me that all the time. The last few days, those are the messages I'm getting. Mm -hmm. But how do I leave when my child will then be with them? How do I leave if I know they're going to be abused? And the only advice I can give you, or I guess perspective, is that when you do leave, when you take that step in the dark and just trust that God's going to take care of them, not keep them from pain, but take care of them, they're going to be able to feel the difference when they're with you and when they're with their other parent. They will feel what feels healthy. They will feel what feels like love. And then that helps them in their life to be able to manage the things that are coming, you know, for them
0: later on. So it sounds like the best advice is to point kids to God as well. Right. And to teach them that this isn't their fault right right and that god will help them through whatever Mm -hmm. choices somebody else makes in their life yeah and that's a tough lesson to learn so young Mm -hmm. but so valuable right right? and just because you keep the family
1: together you think i'm going to keep it together until they graduate or until they're grown they're watching uh not a healthy relationship they're living in a home where they can feel the pain. They can feel the chaos. They see the abuse. They're watching how people treat each other. Mm-hmm. So they're taking that in. So what we think we're saving them by staying as a family, but sometimes saving them, showing them what really what the truth is, actually is what saves them. And mm-hmm. obviously, you can only do that directed with God and and know oh. when or how. But I guess just a a thought to maybe. Change your thinking a little to see what are your reasons for wanting to stay. And if they're based on fear, again, that's Satan. That's mm. not God.
0: Ooh, ooh, mm. I like that. <laughs> what are your reasons for staying? Is it fear? Ooh, I love that. That's beautiful. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah, you are right. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Are there any final tips or words of advice that you want to share before we close?
1: Well, if you are suffering or if your family is suffering or if your children have addiction, struggles, nobody's alone. There are resources for everybody. This happens with men, women, children of boy and girl. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. This is a Satan problem and a a human problem, not just a male problem. Mm -hmm. And so... It's all about love and it's all about truth and understanding and gaining the knowledge and education you need to be able to get your family through.
0: Oh, perfect. I couldn't have said anything better myself. Thank you for that. And so remember in and through your trials that God will be with you and that he loves you and he loves those who are struggling as well. So bear that in mind. Thank you, Roxanne, for sharing your story of hope. Thank you, Tamara, for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes, and those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode, so you don't have to remember what those were, and also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode, you forget what were those great things. So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com, to look up these fantastic resources You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ, and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, remember, God loves you.